Hello, and welcome to the We Might Be Biased podcast, episode one, season one, everything one. My name is Mastin Jones. I am uh, one of your hosts alongside with Scott Childers here, and we're looking forward to uh, talking about Michigan football uh, and not Michigan football and everything else you can imagine. Uh, so, Scott, uh, what, uh, what, what say you? Well, what what better time to start a podcast than, uh, you know, four games into the season? So we are, uh, you know, as the name of the podcast suggests, we we may be biased, but uh, we're here to at least share our thoughts and hopefully talk all things kind of Michigan, not Michigan, football, not football. So, Scott, who who exactly are you in in, in this this ecosystem of, of sort of Michigan fandom? So I uh, I would describe myself as a, a lifelong Michigan fan, uh, you know, kind of born and raised. Thanks, thanks, Dad. Shout out to you, Dad. And uh, over the years, have you know been lucky enough to attend my fair share of games and became a season ticket holder uh, a number of years ago. Um, now I live up near Ann Arbor and uh, managed to make it to as many games as I can, and uh, you know, just really enjoy it. How about you? <laughs> Well, I was I was about to ask, have you ever played football? I did play football in seventh grade. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. And as we'll all recall, uh, you, you know, I played the very uh, useful position of corner slash wideout in middle school football. When, yeah, lots, uh, of, lots of passing. Really, lots uh, of spirals. Lots yeah. of spirals being thrown. Yeah. It really fluid hips though, if I remember right. <laughs> yes. You know. that's, that's, why, that's why I got my pick of numbers. <laughs> so... Uh, so I'm the same. I played, I, although uh, not even the same, I played fourth grade PAL police athletic league football and oh, uh, yeah. decided that that was the extent of my football career. Um, but been a Michigan football fan, uh, my entire life. And, uh, the, the reason that, that I bring that up is really to sort of set the stage here a little bit as this is the first time we're doing this insofar as our, our experience with football. This is very much a fan podcast, Right. Uh, we're not going to be super duper into the X's and O's, nor would I hope that we start to claim to. And, and, and I think that, that if we get too in depth into some of those things, hopefully one of the other, one of us will call the other out, uh, on, on what their, uh, on, on their gaps in, in our knowledge. Um, so Scott, as, as you said, this is the, uh, leading into the fifth game here of the season, which is a totally natural and fine time to start a Michigan podcast. Um, give me a quick recap. What, uh, where are you, uh, as a fan of the program, where, where is the program, uh, here in in your mind, uh, in, in the first sort of third of this season? Uh, I, I think we'll have to start out with a little bit of a caveat, uh, and this will probably appear over over the course of several episodes. But I tend towards the optimistic side of the spectrum, so uh, you know, take that as you will. Um, but I am uh, I'm I'm generally overall fairly positive. Um, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about probably in a little bit more detail, both you and I had the opportunity to go to South Bend for the opener. Yeah, we um, were there. We were there live and in person. Uh, live and live and in person, and and very excited until that first quarter was done. And then, who boy? Um, but I think I am, uh, you know, kind of looking at the out of conference schedule uh, as a whole. I think that we had discussed before the season started that if we could trip up in a game. Um, as much as it stings from a rivalry and historical standpoint, the game we could most afford to lose was the Notre Dame game. And uh, 
we lost it in a manner that was particularly frustrating. But I think now that we're, you know, four games in, uh, I feel much more confident saying that that was uh, a very poor Michigan performance coupled with the best performance that uh, Wimbush will ever have as a quarterback. Um, And hopefully moving forward. That leads me to two questions here. Uh, Scott, the first, and, and you can correct me certainly if I'm, if I'm wrong in saying this, but, uh, I think that this season so far has been the has been a very odd setting aside the Nebraska blowout and those blowouts are always sort of fun to watch um you know when it's very clear after the first series what the outcome is going to be and you can sort of relax but have has there ever been a season that has had quite as much uh relatively joyless football in it like the being at the Notre Dame game was just a slog SMU was a slog of a game where in hindsight you look back and you say, you know, that wasn't so bad actually. And, and typically that's very much reversed for me. I'm in the stadium, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is okay. We've got a shot. And then I look back on it and I'm like, Oh, what was I thinking? We didn't, we didn't have a shot after the second quarter. Um, and, and this season seems to be completely reversed. I'm in the stadium, I'm watching the game on TV and I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, could this get any worse? And then about by Tuesday or Wednesday, that game seems to have aged better, whether that be the loss in Notre Dame or the win at SMU. Uh, am I taking crazy pills here? No, I, I, I think that's actually a really um, interesting point because I think it speaks kind of to where we are as a fan base um, in a larger contextual setting given the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I think it also speaks a little bit to um, the expectations that we you know, we, the royal we, I suppose, uh, allowed our, allowed ourselves to have um, in the nine months between, you know, the loss to South Carolina, the bowl game, and leading up to heading to South Bend for the opener. Um, I would share the exact same thoughts as you. I, I, you know, like I said, I tend to be more optimistic, but I recall walking out of the SMU game and kind of shaking my head and then looking at the drive chart and realizing we scored on six straight drives, you know, five touchdowns and a field goal. Um and, and fairly handily controlled the football game, even though it didn't necessarily feel like it. And um, you could even go back to the Notre Dame game and kind of look to see. I mean, that felt like one of the old Michigan State losses where we rushed for like negative 40 yards and we ended up outgaining Notre Dame 307 to, you know, 300 or 280 or whatever it ended up being. Um, but I think part of the explanation for um, that sense is unfortunately this Michigan program finds itself at a point where we're crawling out of, um, at least in yours and my lifetime, historical low. And I think you could even argue since really the 50s, uh, historical low in terms of performance relative to a national scale and relative to its rivals. And so a lot of Michigan football recently, um, you know, taking a pulse of the fan base is um, as the losses to Michigan State, however ridiculous they've been, and losses to Ohio State, you know, how numerous they've been have piled up. Um, wins don't seem to be enjoyed in and of themselves anymore. They, they are always held up in this microscope of did that performance show me anything that gives me confidence for November? Um, did that performance show me anything that makes me think we can go into East Lansing and win? And, you know, as much as I might disagree with these individuals, I mean, there, there's certainly reason to say, Hey, until they prove it on the field, that's the, uh, that's the attitude I'm going to have. And so, um, no, I, I, I think that, your point is really well made, and I think it probably resonates with a large proportion of Michigan fans. So my, my, my second point that you were saying about uh, Notre Dame in particular 
is Michigan's habit of turning the opposing quarterback, who is not very well respected in any meaningful way, uh, into a guy who drops dimes all over the field uh, and and rushes and picks up. Uh, what was it at Notre Dame? I think it was like a third and 18 or a third and 22 or something like that. that he, I mean, some, that, something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that he broke uh, – uh, downfield uh and so this is less less something that requires deep analysis and more just a general observation on my part that Michigan has a tendency to do that with quarterbacks and I'm sure that we will turn you know Hornerbrook or uh, or Lewerke or somebody like that into into a Heisman candidate here at some point the remainder of the season for for unknown reasons <laughs> it sure does feel that way you know I mean it's <laughs> it's at least transitioned a little bit from you know Donovan McNabb and, and at all you <laughs> You know, run, run, running through just chasms. <laughs> right. You know, the, used to be the mobile quarterback, and now you know we make Alex Hornibrook who just throws at defensive backs, and you know the ball magically gets through to a guy. And um, you know the Wimbush thing. I mean, ah, unless you're it, Taylor it, Martinez, if you're Taylor, unless Martinez. you're Taylor Martinez, yes, exactly, exactly. Taylor Martinez did complete an arm punt the yes. same way that uh, you know Wimbush did, but other than he that, was turned uh, into a, uh, he was turned into a fine paste, I believe, yeah. as opposed to a Heisman candidate. Uh, but I do, I, I do think you know, as as we look at the end of the out of conference season, you know, and look at it in in, in some total, I think the defense. Um, did what it was supposed to do against two tomato cans and really for two and a half quarters against Notre Dame. Uh, and the offense, I think I would argue um, while it would seem across the fan base, many people were talking about the offense being boring and the play calling being boring. I think SMU and Western are the games where you try to hammer the stuff you're not necessarily very good at because it's low risk to do so. And uh, yeah. And, and I think that, uh, you know, in general, this this team in particular seems to be one, and I think Harbaugh has mentioned it um, in press conferences or interviews or, or in some in some fashion publicly. They seem somewhat content to to throw those body blows. I think is what Harbaugh was calling them, um, and and sort of run those plays that aren't necessarily. This is going to sound silly because, to, to my to my notion, anyways, uh, and understanding, you know, every play if it's blocked right is meant to go for a touchdown. But mm-hmm. they, they seem quite willing to, uh, to to run between the tackles and and to wear down an opposing offensive line when they when they feel like they have um, you know overwhelming physical force. And I think we saw that through the through the uh, the out of conference schedule at least, and and. You know, getting into Nebraska is almost like you throw it out the window because there were holes that, uh, uh, you know, that 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 Higdon was running through that were not D one level, you know, defensive defensive holes that uh, that, that a D one team should be running. Yeah. So, well, and you know, I, and if I, you throw that one out, but we seem very content to start to in the first quarter wear down that 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 defensive line and throw those body punches. Uh, a, a bit and and so is that a, is that a viable strategy here as we move into the Big Ten season and those defensive lines and linebacking cores that the offense is facing starts to maybe step up not just in skill level but also in just like sheer physicality. I I would argue that it's almost an incomplete because I think we tried that strategy against Notre Dame, which may well have the best defensive line we face until we go to Columbus until Ohio um, State, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think it blew up in our face. I, I, I mean, that was, 
I think that's also coupled with, you know, a defense that, that gave up 21 points very quickly in that football game. Um, but I, I, you know, going back and actually looking at the first few drives in the Notre Dame game, you'll actually find that Michigan moved the football. I think the first possession was like a four and out. The next possession was like a 65 or 70 yard drive into Notre Dame territory that, uh, you know, fizzled out, I think due to a sack and then a, a missed snap on the field goal. And was I think even the third one play action on, on second that might've been, third I can't remember that. if that was the second drive or the okay. third drive, but yeah. I know when you look at those first three drives and, and believe it or not, Michigan only had three drives in the first half. Right. Um, they actually moved the football. It didn't result in points. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's very interesting because I would agree with you. I don't know we learned a whole lot against Western or against SMU. Uh, I think the curious point becomes when you beat – Well, Did yeah, when you, beat a, when, you beat a, when you beat a team like Nebraska, who obviously is down. I mean, I'm not going to argue that they're, you know, a contender in the conference or even in their division right now. But, I mean, they did have the 20th ranked – rushing defense in the country coming in it's after two games okay but um and i believe they had you know a a top 10 uh from a sack rate so i mean those are d1 big 10 level defensive linemen and i think their front seven was actually thought of in some regard you know reading through several of the previous the the mgo blog guys and um you know seth uh I, i think you know wrote that he thought that Nebraska had really found something in those uh, in a couple of linebackers there, and you know whether or not the, whether they were being thrown off by something Michigan was doing. I, I know that that we were doing some things to mess with linebackers' reads and keys and things like yeah. that. But I mean, they yeah. they looked completely uh, completely lost, like like well, not even taking angles that were angles. They were just running the wrong way. And I think this is kind of, I, I don't even know that this is unique to Michigan, but I think it's, I, at least in my worldview, it's unique compared to like SEC teams. But, right. you know, I think a lot of prognosticators didn't necessarily worry about Michigan winning the game, but I think a lot of people had this game coming down to maybe a second half type of win uh, and a little closer than the Vegas spread had suggested. And I think anytime you enter a game with that kind of mindset and you just absolutely see not that in terms of a performance, um, for some reason, we tend to, I think, almost uh, overcorrect and say, well, they must have been terrible. I think somewhere in the middle there is that this Michigan team is probably uh, improving, especially given the fact that you got a new offensive line coach, a new makeup along the offensive line. Um, a lot of people and a lot of Michigan fans even in particular seem to forget that this is Shea Patterson's you know, fourth ever game with this team. Um, and kind of like Jake Rudock not all that long ago, it takes a little time to get that chemistry and that timing and, and to settle in um, to, to a rhythm. And so, again, with the glass half full type of approach, I suppose, I, 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 I'm not saying that performance in and of itself is a, a you know, a, a signaling to the rest of the conference to batten down the hatches or anything like that. But I do think that that team, um, when you contrast that to the performance that we had in South Bend to start the season on September 1st, right. uh, is a very different football team and a football team that's playing better as a team in all phases right now. So uh, it, it's so, it's so funny, right? Because we sit here and put it this way. Are you any more or less, is this team any different than a team that had they played, um, a tomato can, right? Instead of Notre Dame in week one. And now we're sitting with a, you know, with a four and O record and a massive win at Nebraska. 
you know, the narrative around this team is completely different. And that's one of the things that I think you and I talk about a lot is, is, you know, how the narrative impacts how the fans and, and how people feel about, about a season or a game or, or, you know, what Brian at MGO blog might, might call sort of the black pit of negative expectations, expectations, or, or what, whatever the, his little acronym is there. Um, that, that I think is, is somewhat accurately capturing it, but sure. you know, do you, you, it's so funny that had we played like a Delaware state or somebody that everyone would have been complaining about, um, right. But been sitting here at four and O and, and having waxed Nebraska the way we had, we'd be in the top 10 and we'd be considering, um, you know, starting to, to think about beating up on Penn state here in Michigan state here in a few weeks. And it's just funny to me anyways, how, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be the same team, the same team that lost to Notre Dame would have pasted Delaware state, uh, yep. you know, yeah. so, and, and yeah, and yet here we are, you know, wringing our hands over an SMU victory that, that was in all honesty, quite comfortable, uh, but maybe not as pretty as we wanted it to be and thinking well, to and- ourselves, you know, boy, are we in trouble. And not to interrupt you, but I mean, if oh, it, yeah. l- let's just contrast that to last season, um, and and look at you know our highest uh, offensive output last season was against Cincinnati, and it was thirty six points. Right. And you look at our largest margin of victory, and and so well, I, remember I, we I, weren't scoring red zone touchdowns last year. Correct. That correct. You know, and and we weren't able. So I, I, in some ways, I think some perspective is needed in that, like, you know, this was a team last year that couldn't do this to terrible teams, right? Um, let alone maybe bad teams like Nebraska. And um, the the football on the field and the way the team is playing, um, to me, looks very different compared to five years ago, compared to last year. Um it is no less frustrating to go into South Bend and lose to a team that they should have beaten. And I, I still think they should have beat them. Um, but I almost think that experience may be beneficial to us uh, down the road going into East Lansing, um, you know, having Wisconsin come into Ann Arbor and some of those bigger matchups um, because you've already been through that adversity and you're not coming in propped up as a number seven team in the country and, you know, all this hype and, Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, um, nationally, people have absolutely forgotten uh, yes. that Michigan is is in the East, and, and and you know, all eyes and rightfully so are on Columbus or excuse me, on Happy Valley. You know, this Saturday for that game, thinking that that's going to be the one that settles things. And and honestly, you know, Penn State's got to come to Michigan, and you know, sure. Michigan's all but beaten Ohio State. Uh, you know, previously in previous years here, uh, take a spot one way or the other, you know, give yourself a chance with a quarterback, um, who can, can play quarterback and, and those things are relatively different. So I'm not so sure, you know, speaking just, just in pure sort of non empirical, non factual based sort of language here, I'm not so sure that, uh, that Michigan's out of this thing. By any means, because again, it replaced Notre Dame with Delaware State, and uh, and you're um, you know you're right there. Well, and I, and I think too that the the I think the benefit of playing a Notre Dame at the beginning of the year is a win. You know, it catapults you. Um, I think the unspoken benefit is you can tolerate a loss on the road to a Notre Dame. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm not absolutely. sure. Absolutely. 
I'm Absolutely. not sure Wisconsin has that same um, grace period with their home uh, loss to BYU. Well, so, uh, this way, the, I mean, Wisconsin's got a lot of problems. I mean, first yes. of all, they're in the West. They're in the Big Ten West, which means they simply don't have the same opportunities from a schedule standpoint Correct. to play teams that are that are well regarded. Um, and then, you know, and then second of all, their loss was at home. And third of all, it was to a BYU team that uh, that was apparently friskier than anybody thought, but is not very well regarded, you know, exactly. nationally. So I think I think we've we've absolutely set ourselves up for the winner of the Big Ten East is going to go to the playoffs, regardless of what happens in the Big Ten championship game. That would be my prediction. I think you're I think you're right, and I think that's one thing that. Um, we have to be aware of in terms of when you're when you're having that dark pit of despair feeling early <laughs> early in a year negative expectation yeah, the black pit of God. negative expectation I think right. I was quoting I think I was quoting Money Python there sorry yeah. um, the, uh, but I, but I think you have to look at this team and I think the way that I would argue that you look at these games especially you know Western and SMU and even even afterwards the Nebraska game is um, is this team improving and isn't improving in ways that are noticeable especially compared to last year um I, I think a lot of us again not empirically speaking uh could explain away pretty much every loss last year save for the penn state disaster um w- with offensive line issues and quarterback play and i don't think that's unique for any of us to point out but when you look at that i mean we have a clear upgrade at quarterback and clear upgrade at backup and i would argue the offensive line um despite a heavy skepticism and a well-earned skepticism um, is performing. Should we transition into talking about, uh, about the offense as it, as it sits right now? I think that's a pretty, I, I think that works as a segue. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you want to play that sweet music again? Is that what we yeah. do? Here, here, let's, let's, let's do this one just to see. <laughs> ready, oh, ready to rack. I accidentally deleted all the other ones. I like that, though. Yeah, there we go. That That one's courtesy of David Childers right there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So the offense. um, Like I said, we've kind of talked about the body punches they were throwing uh, and maybe the success of of that here moving forward. We're fairly sure that that, that the funkiness they've been running that that has been being called down G – has mm-hmm. been scouted and is probably uh, is probably done as an effective sort of plan A, um, but there's going to be several things that probably play off of that here in the near future. Um, my my somewhat hot take, somewhat hot take uh, right now is that uh, I'm not so sure the tackles are as bad as we thought they were against Notre Dame. Um, because the, the tackles that I saw against Notre Dame can't play Division One football, uh, regardless, sort of opponent agnostic. Sure, you know, they just can't. The, they, there they, was there was a lot of revolving door, you yes. know. Uh, right, and so, but uh, over the course of the past three games, uh, and uh, since Notre Dame, and uh, looking at. Nebraska in particular, where they did have something of a stout defense, at least statistically moving into it. They do have people who are of the size of D1 you know, players, uh, unlike mm-hmm. like Western and SMU, where you, you, you sort of ratchet down things. 
Um, you know, I thought that Runyon had held up held up relatively well. Admittedly, I'm not an expert on offensive line play, so I don't know whether his you know kick step is exactly right or whatever. But um, you know, and I, and and further, I thought that I thought that the backs did an excellent job. Higdon, uh, True Wilson, when he was in there, um, did just a phenomenal job of of you know chipping and helping and getting into rush lanes and disrupting that pass rush to the point where. You know, Shea could sort of hang in there a bit and, and McCaffrey later and start to deliver the ball downfield with some confidence instead of sort of off their back foot because they've got a, a dude in their face. Um, so well, so my that's... hot take is, is that I don't think the tackles are as bad uh, as as people think they are. I think that's a really good take, actually. I Because um, I would agree. I think I, I would have been someone who was uh, going into the Western Michigan game hoping that it would have gotten – out of hand enough early that we got to see Mayfield. We got to see Hudson um, and, and even down to Stuber, Filiaga, you know, it was at that point where it was like, let's see what the other guys can kind of do. Um, and, and, you know, I think above all, I think the, the move that a, a lot of us um, kind of signaled as, as the most exciting move we made in the off season was going out and getting Warner uh, as the offensive line coach, and I think well, now that he's getting from out, acquiring uh, Shea Patterson, yeah, excuse me, excuse Patterson. me, sorry, yeah, yes, sorry, person, coaching, coaching <laughs> move, excuse yes. me, person who has an active 401k, person not wearing a helmet, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, person whose name will get misspelled more than Jake Rudak. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but I, I do think that you know. Uh, Perhaps some of the foolishness in, on, on my end is, hey, I'm really excited to have this offensive line coach. Um, he has no game film of his own to work with and to teach with. And you go out against Notre Dame and you find yourself in a hole. And uh, lo and behold, as we're gotten, you know, a little bit more time into the season and, and we've gotten a few more games under our belt, admittedly with, you know, uh, level of opponent caveats applying. I, I think that you're seeing less of the... Um, free runner, huge gaff mistakes uh, that plagued us in the Notre Dame game. And, and as we reduce those and get down to, um, you know, we may not be a perfect pass protection type of line, but if we're good enough to give Patterson any time to throw, he's good enough to make the play. And I think that's the dynamic a lot of us were hoping for in the in the offseason is that, hey, we get a quarterback in who can maybe move around a little bit and, and hit guys who are open. The offensive line doesn't have to be perfect. Um, so I agree with you. I think, I think you see, you know, as they grade out each game, um, and you see how they're doing even on the ground, you know, especially with this down G those are movements. And those are, those are things that I don't think last year's line would have been able to do. Um, there's, there's so much better, uh, the line is that is when, when they're able, when they're able to run block and just ID their man pre-snap and and you know get their hat on on him and and move him right 100 uh, and, and i think i think you touched on something uh, in in that discussion of the offensive line though um that that's pertinent in terms of a, a, an issue that i i feel got overlooked last year and that was blitz pickup by the running backs yeah um and i think we had a really interesting kind of compare and contrast 
last week to this weekend. And I'm going to say this with the caveat of I'm a huge Chris Evans fan. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the good one Indiana, of the good Indiana boy, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Um, I, I think one of his liabilities on the field is he is not as strong in blitz pickup as true. Wilson has proven himself to be as Karan Higdon has proven himself to be. No, he will. Uh, and that I mean, that makes real. a yeah he uh, has you know, against SMU he had a guy he had an a gap blitz coming at him, uh, and and he completely whiffed. Uh, and, and there and, were you know, there were two plays against yes. Nebraska where they one of them they sent a triple a gap blitz and uh, the running back picked up the second guy through to give uh, Patterson enough time to get the ball away, uh, and then there was another one that I, I it. I'm 99% sure it was Higdon actually uh, who, who absolutely made a crucial block, you know, on a, on a guy coming through and, and those make and break plays. And I think both of those were Higdon. I, I was, I was very impressed with Higdon's run blocking. I mean, or excuse me, pass blocking. Uh, yeah. Higdon run blocking would be something, uh, <laughs> that would be something. For, for Mason, maybe, you know, um, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but I do think that's something going forward that I think I, I kind of hope the staff, excuse me, I hope the staff takes a look at uh, in terms of how they're utilizing Evans, because I think you still need to get Evans a certain amount of touches per game, but you need to try to do it in a way that's not going to be exposing uh, your quarterback to to unnecessary risk, you know? And yeah, so it's, it's one of those balances. I, I And, you know, probably a dumb question that, that a coach would love to answer because, you know, it's an easy one probably for them, but it's sort of, how do you balance the notion of like you need to get Evans the ball, but when he's in the game, he's getting the ball, <laughs> and, and everybody knows yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and that's the. I, I don't know if you would maybe start to see more sets going forward where you have both Higdon and Evans, uh, you know, in a shotgun, and I, I would love to see us. And this gets back to you and I not being coaches. So if the terminology is wrong, uh, you know, please feel free to correct me and. Uh, I will happily work it into the next podcast. Uh, but I would love to see them essentially try to get the mismatches that uh, Penn State got with us and Saquon Barkley and Mike McCray last year. So I would love to see them work to get Evans lined up against a guy who has no prayer of covering him, you know, and and kind of go from there. And I'll be interested to see uh, if they start to use Ambry Thomas in that role a little bit, given what he's shown on offense so far. But I think you need to kind of work Evans maybe out more towards the slot or more in a setting where it's not, hey, he's on the field, he's getting the ball uh, type of play. Because he's, he's shown that he's just a dynamic guy in space. Um, but I think you need to accentuate what he does well while hopefully minimizing his obligations on stuff that maybe he's not quite up to I mean, par. Evans on. scores, I think Evans scores two or three touchdowns in that Nebraska game that ended up drawn drives that ended up being touchdowns. But like, yes, you know, there, there were a couple times where true uh, and, uh, and Higdon had, had a guy and, and couldn't quite break his ankles enough. And, yep. and Higdon act absolutely, excuse me, Evans absolutely leaves him in the dust. Well, and I, and I think too, that Evans, you know, he showed on that wheel route. I think it was Rutgers last year. I mean, he, he has the ability to go out and catch the football. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I hope that we can find a role for him that's beyond, you know, what we did with Eddie McDoom and, and you know, can develop that more into a package that's not tipping the play, you know, when he's on the field. Well, the one that's tipping the play, and frankly, look, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a huge fan 
of these things. With Jabril Peppers, it was fine because he was so dynamic that you couldn't keep him off the field. Um, it, it, but like Ambry Thomas on offense, like, I don't know. The, the whole world knows it's either going to him or it's going to be essentially sort of a trick play decoy. And and further, I, I just don't know that Michigan needs to get cute right now anyways uh, to score points yet. Uh, and, and so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't love the Ambry Thomas on uh, on on offense packages. I think I so it, it, at least to my eye, and and I will admit I so I've rewatched each game after ha- having seen them. Um, I think they're doing a little more with Thomas than it initially seems. They've they've done a few things off the jet sweep motion where he doesn't get the ball. So I think at least from a baby step forward standpoint, it's a little more than what we would do with McDoom last year. Um, I do think your skepticism is merited in terms of it'd be really nice to see them develop something uh, off of that going forward, you know, especially for, say, Michigan State, you know, uh, headed into East Lansing. Um, It's going to be interesting because I think he's proven himself to be enough of a playmaker and enough of a burner. Um, If you looked at that that uh, route he ran uh, that McCaffrey threw maybe just a little bit behind him, but I mean, it hit him in the hands. You know, he was five steps behind the corner uh, and just blew by him. So if he has that kind of ability and we're not using him as a corner, I think maybe it's worth giving him four or five plays a game just to see if he gets that open, you know? If he brings a speed, but the thing is, is like, I mean, how much of a difference is it really? You've got guys who are covering, um, uh, you know, DPJ out there, who is, I guess, the second fastest person on the team to Ambry Thomas. Like, how much of a delta is it really that uh, that, that 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 between DPJ and Ambry Thomas that you're you're going that a corner's going? Oh man, I didn't expect him to be that fast. <laughs> well, they're I all guess, freaking fast. Like, they are. They are very quick. I I guess the question is: Is there anyone else on the team that would even run a jet sweep style of? I mean, I guess maybe McDoom. like Bell. it was McDoom, Scott. It was, it was McDoom. You're right. So maybe Ambry is just filling in. But you're right. I mean, I, I don't know how much more we're going to be able to put in with the makeup of this offense. Right. Um, you know, especially, especially I think the curious thing kind of going forward just to kind of dovetail off of that is it's like there have been at least two two reads a game. Uh, that Patterson has had an easy 10, 15 yards in front of him, you know, if he keeps the ball and uh, has has given it up, you know, or or made the incorrect decision to keep it. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious going forward how much of those are truly reads and how much of those are designed handoffs. And if we'll see uh, as we get into the meat of the of the conference schedule, you know, how how much are we going to put him out there to be hit? You know, um, because if we're going to threaten that, he's going to have to keep it every once in a while for it to actually be successful. So Donovan Peoples-Jones is um, is starting to you, – you can see that light bulb is starting to go off a little bit uh, or turn on, I suppose, as as the uh, the saying may go. But uh, it, it's really, I think, starting to click for him in terms of the types of routes he's running – Mm-hmm. The ability to, when they say be on the same page, and no, nothing illustrates being on the same page as your quarterback better than that 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 touchdown against SMU where where he threw it to the back shoulder and Peoples Jones had to sort of turn around and grab it. 
Um, perfect. Perfect. That was yeah. And and further, as I understand it, anyways, I, the, the offensive line looked like they were run blocking. I think that that's a that's a read uh, between Shea Patterson and uh, and 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 Peoples Jones to be able to uh, identify that read it, be on the same page and execute that play uh, independent of there being some sort of you know, crazy play call or, you know, stopping and looking at some play card that's, that's being held up with, you know, Lee Corso and George Washington. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, but that, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that would be distracting. Uh, but that's the, uh, that's, that's some NFL style stuff um, that we're starting to see now from from Shea Patterson certainly and from Peoples Jones and I think I I gotta think that 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 only continues here as the season progresses and as those those two get more in sync. Um, well, and not to not to put too much of a feelings ball take on it, but I think you know I think Donovan Peoples Jones was one of those guys who would have been a freshman All American last year if anyone could have gotten him the football, and I think the fact that he knows that if he is even slightly open, that ball is going to be there. Um, plays it plays a huge role. I mean, it, you know, if you looked at the three touchdowns he had against SMU, you know, one was a, a crossing route that he took 35 or 40 yards. One was a deep ball. And then one was that gorgeous, like you said, corner. It, it's indefensible. I mean, when it's thrown right, if they get the inside coverage that they're looking for, like you said, maybe it's even a check at the line. You know, if, if Shea puts that there, there's nobody stopping that, you know, short of short of pass interference. Where um, Where is Grant Perry in all this, Scott? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I, I really I, anticipated know for, that he would ha- be having a bigger impact um, on the season so far, and uh, and it's just interesting. I, I I think he's gotten somewhat lost in the uh, in in the tight end in the the glut of tight ends that we have, and and then you know the, the Peoples Jones and, and Nico Collins coming on strong. Um, I mean, he gets a couple targets. Don't get me wrong, a game, but like I was anticipating him being that Roy Roundtree, you know, thirteen eight catches on thirteen targets for 15, yeah, 16 or almost yards. like a gallon type of a. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think some of it has to do with the limited number of just attempts. Period in a sure. game. Um, you know, overall, I mean, if we look at it, I think if 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 anything, I'm surprised he didn't get the ball more against Notre Dame. Just as a quick you know, safety outlet, safety blanket type of a thing. Um, I mean, he had five catches against Notre Dame for 48 yards, which I anticipated, which I would have anticipated that being a kind of his average trend, right? Western Michigan, zero for zero Uh, SMU, one catch for 12 yards, Nebraska. He did have four receptions in Nebraska, but for five yards, you know, so just just not a huge part of the offense uh, in in a place that I really expected him um, to be. And I don't know whether, I I don't think that that's a Grant Perry problem. I think that it's a, it's a schematic thing more than anything else, but just, I think the other thing too, that that kind of comes out with him is it'd be interesting to look at, but how many third and passing downs have we had, you know, in terms of, uh, cause I think, I think a place where he really shines is, you know, on third and six, that's a guy who's going to run his route to the marker and, you know, more often than not probably be available in terms of, uh, in terms of openness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may just be a function of, we just haven't had a whole lot of occasion that that's where we've had to look for. 
Uh, I do think it's perfectly viable to also say that, you know, he's no longer the only upperclassman on the receiving core. And, and, you know, we've got a bunch of outside threats. And then when you look at what we've got lining up, you know, on the, on the end of the line in terms of the mismatches that Gentry and McCune and, and Eubanks and, um, you know, some of the other folks that we can roll out there, um, it, it, it kind of, the spreading around of the football, I think is he's one of the primary guys who's probably being affected by that. It's Ronnie Bell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Freshman. Absolutely. That was, a, I'll tell you what, man, he got, he got knocked off his route by the corner, kept his balance, perfect throw by McCaffrey, great catch by Bell. And then the more impressive thing to me was that a, he was able to, to gather the ball and gather himself to put a move on a guy and still get into the end zone. And I mean, I know it's kind of quote unquote garbage time, but like that to me is an opponent independent type of play, you know, like that throw, that catch, that move, um, I, I, that's one of those plays where you're like, I think that guy's probably got something, you know, so, down the line. So listen to this about Ronnie Bell, right? Uh, and, and this was a guy that if I recall, right, uh, set off a stargazing, um, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, when he yep. was recruited. Right. But, you know, caught 159 passes, uh, at a 15.6 yard per catch average. And scored thirty-one touchdowns during his uh, his high school career. That's that's top three in in the state of Missouri history, uh, alongside Dorel Green Beckham and Jeremy Macklin, both of whom are not just in the NFL but quite say, successful NFL players. Like both names we know. <laughs> yes, right, right. Which honestly, at least in the world of NFL, I'm not a huge fantasy guy. Like the fact that I know those guys is somewhat means that they've, they've done something in their career. So, I mean, you know, he's going to be, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do, right? He seems to me to be kind of a hardball guy, so to speak, in, in terms of um, maybe doesn't have all the tangibles you, you'd want to see and everything, but knows how to catch the ball and then knows what to do with it once he's got it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think he's one of those guys too, that I think we were all kind of surprised you know, like you said, it brought the stargazers out, certainly. But then you start reading about what he accomplished. And, you know, I'm quite frankly more stunned that he just wasn't recruited. You know, I don't know if it's just a case of everybody assumed he was going to play basketball or or what. But, I mean, you know, I, I think he came at a perfect position in the class in terms of if you're going to take a flyer, you know, at a position group, that's not a bad one to take a flyer at. It's not like we needed him to come and play right away. Uh, and if he works out, man, you're loaded. So, um, you know, I mean, our, our small sample size, uh, notwithstanding, I, I think he's really shown himself, you know, I mean, this kid's a true freshman, you know, and uh, has already made a positive impact. And, you know, beyond just that particular touchdown catch, I mean, he's managed to get himself on the field, uh, despite all of that high level competition around him. And I think that probably speaks volumes. So if something, if something breaks on this offense, and we lose a game because of the offense. What's 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 going to break? I mean, because so far we've talked we've talked for about thirty minutes, and and we've hit on that the tackles are are better than people think. Um, we we like the guards and and the centers movements. Uh, the the wide receivers are all stars, and and we've got you know <laughs> true freshmen that are yeah. yeah exactly. We love the running backs. Uh, we love Chris Evans. Um, you know, and Shea Patterson is a golden God. So like when, when, when we 
ride the struggle bus with offense with the offense sometime this year. I'm not saying we might we'll lose because of it, but there will be a time where the offense is going to get stuck in the mud. What's it going to be? Um, I think I think it's going to be similar to what we saw against Notre Dame. I think it's going to be if if you have a team that is able to bring pressure that gets home um, and overwhelms this offensive line, that will totally take this team out. It, 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 if you can take away the threat to pass and then stack the box, no matter how good of a, a run blocking offensive line you have or how good of a running team you have, uh, that can be slowly taken away from you. And so, so what are we watching for here moving forward? I, I mean, I know what I'm watching for. I mean, what I'm watching for is a team that um, starts to get a whole lot of pressure on Shea Patterson um, you know, and, and, and starts to force things with the run game that, that are uncomfortable for us. And then all of a sudden they've got eight in the box. They're getting pressure with four and things start to, to bog down. Um, to, to me, it's, if you start to see some of those same mistakes where we're not able to identify or pick up a twist or a stunt yeah. uh, that gets guys running absolutely clean and, and, and blows plays up. I think Patterson and, and to be honest, I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, what, what Achilles heels of this offense. I think preseason, if any of us had said, Hey, Patterson gets hurt, we'd all just have thrown our hands up inside. I don't think I'm not for a second arguing McCaffrey would be the, should be the starter right now, but I don't think the drop off is as enormous uh, uh, that's as we probably a topic for a topic for a subsequent podcast. But yes, uh, I think you're probably right. I think right. you're probably right. But I, I, to me, I think it's ability yep. to handle pressure and teams that are going to be willing to bring that level of pressure and say beat us. Let's talk about the defense. Do you want to hit a? Do you want to? Do you do you have another sound effect queued up there, Scott? <laughs> I I don't have any more. Those are the oh, only. No. Oh no. Okay. Well. We'll uh, we'll work on that for next time. Uh, sort of feeling this out as we go, but um, all right. So let's let's move to the defense and the guy. I mean, I mean so first of all, you know the, the the macro macro view of this thing from my perspective is that the defense is about as advertised. We got into that uh, rarefied air against uh, against Nebraska where I started to get mildly annoyed at first downs. Um, and that's always a good place to be uh, when when you're talking about the defense. Uh, I apologize, Madison. I totally cut out there. Nope. And yeah, I, I saw that as well. So so, I mean, basically, the you know we're starting to get up into that that air where where I'm getting mildly annoyed when Nebraska gets first downs, which yes. generally means that uh, that things are going well. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I think uh, macro view the defense is about who we expected them to be, uh, particularly now that, that um, Carlos Kemp uh, seems to be, uh, you know, he's not going to be Mo Hurst, um, which we can talk about how, how that guy is a third round pick in the NFL later date. But anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe not Mo Hurst, uh, but, but he's starting to be that rock in the middle that that's standing up to, to double teams and such and letting, you know, the, the Chase Vinoviches and the uh, Rashawn Gary's uh, get, get around the edge a little bit quicker. But, you know, overall, I think the defense is uh, is about who we expected them to be. Uh, Scott, what, uh, what, what's your macro view on the defense? Um, I, I think, I think I would agree with you. I think I probably undersold the impact that Mo Hurst had on the defense as a whole. Um, 
I think we all appreciated him as a phenomenal player, but I think we maybe didn't appreciate how much he allowed the rest of the defense to function by what he did, uh, even if it wasn't necessarily a, you know, a, a quick burst Mohurst breakthrough sack type of type of a play. Um, and so the, um, you know, I think as we get settled on an interior defensive line um, and get someone who's, who's, you know, 50, 60% of what Hurst was able to do, you're starting to see these other pieces be able to, to flourish again. Um, I think the only thing that's a little bit surprising to me, and it may just be early season hiccups is that, um, our corners have not been quite as locked down as they were the previous season. That may just be regression to the mean a little bit. Um, but it seems, and again, this is just kind of talking anecdotally, uh, we're giving up a lot of just kind of these odd, you know, I call them Kirk Kittner balls. Cause for those of you who don't remember, Kirk Kittner was a horrible quarterback at the university of Illinois. <laughs> Who, who did nothing but throw just absolute rainbow balls. And, and it was just 50-50 balls all, you know, every pass. Um, and those are the ones that just for some reason, even though we have great coverage and everything else, um, you know, seems to seems to be our Achilles heel for, for you know, for lack of a better explanation. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just not enough uh, of a football guy to to know what's going on, but but I agree. It does seem it does seem that our corners are a bit less locked down than maybe they have been in the past. And uh, you know, like you said, it could be it could be regression towards the mean. I mean, I think uh, I forget which season preview it was that I was reading that basically said that like it was going to be impossible for the Michigan corners to get any better because they were already statistically abnormally good. (laughs) And so, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that going on um, there. Now, now here you you had a hot take. We were talking uh, Scott a week ago and, and I'd be interested to uh, hear some of your reasoning because I don't, I don't think you maybe actually believed it um, wholeheartedly, but, we were going through the most uh, impactful player on on the defense, and you know I think that the obvious answer might be uh, Winovich. Um, the 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 second obvious answer is Devin Bush. Um, you said uh, that Metellus, uh, yeah, might, Josh, might be... Josh, Josh Martellus Metellus. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> um, you know, admittedly a little bit tongue in cheek, but if you look at someone who has stepped their game up uh, from last year and, and I'm even going to include, you know, the, the, the unfortunate just getting launched from the Notre Dame game early on as perhaps evidence of this is that um, the, he has made more plays. I mean, it, admittedly the obvious ones that stick out, I mean, he had the pick six, he had another interception this last week, but I think he has made more sound uh, come up and stop a guy, solid coverage, even the slot fade that SMU was able to co- complete to uh, Prothy um, or Prochet, excuse me, Prochet, Prochet yeah. uh, you know, had to be a perfectly thrown. I mean, the coverage was really good. Sure. And um, that's something that was missing last year. And I think the ability of him to do that uh, alongside our corners um, gives Don Brown a little more flexibility uh, in terms of what he's able to bring with the front seven and, and what he's able to do from a pressure standpoint. So, you know, while I said it somewhat tongue in cheek, I do think that he is probably being undersold on his level of importance to the defense. Right. And, uh, you know, and, 
and, and speaking of the other the other two candidates uh, th- that are out there, I mean, I thought against Nebraska, there there were two plays against Nebraska that I thought were indicative of of stopping for a moment and appreciating some of the athleticism that this defense has, that this particular version of Don Brown's Michigan defense has. The first was, uh, and it goes without saying, Rashawn Gary playing both sides of a speed option. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was that was just giggle-worthy from our well, Yeah, but that's I mean, all you can do. That's yeah. all you, I mean, all yeah. you can do is sort of laugh at that because he's not supposed to be able to do that. Right. Um, in well, fact, the, the, the Nebraska – the Nebraska, the Nebraska fan around us, the fans around us, their faces told the whole story. You know, I mean, just jaw dropping that this, you know, 300 pound individual is out there, you know, faster than their tailback and able to cover that kind right. of di- distance. The entire premise of an option is that the defensive end will not be able to do that. Correct. Because, exactly. You know, Tom Osborne himself had point. to be like, what? Right, and so so to see him do that was um was was spectacular. The other one was Devin Bush coming from a yard or two inside the hash and beating the running back to the spot uh, at the line of scrimmage at the sideline uh, to make a tackle for for no gain or even a loss of a couple of a couple feet um, in a play that he had no business making. Absolutely, and he just somehow like i said beat the running back to the corner the running every single t- every single time i've seen that play um run under those circumstances that running back gets the corner yeah i mean um, to, to and, call back yeah. to call back into the past here i mean it, it's ian gold like you know yeah. uh, in terms of his ability to cover that kind of ground i mean he had another play earlier in the game uh that was a kind of a flare out screen and I mean, he read it perfectly and just but at the exact same time, the ball got to the guy just drove him back, you know, I mean, and those are the plays, at least to me, you know, like we said, you know, with our, our mountains of football experience, uh, you know, those are the plays from a linebacker standpoint that just grab my attention from a from an athletic standpoint. And we have a number of guys on this defense who are able to do that. I don't think any of them are uh, better than Bush as far as an example. So, okay. So, so the defense is as as you know, as, sort of as advertised, uh, um, and, and certainly was in the Nebraska game. We've got Northwestern coming up uh, here in in the second road game, one that I think that uh, that playing Notre Dame early in the season at Notre Dame will uh, will will lend itself uh, to to be valuable experience, even though it is sort of a soft road game. Do we call do we call Northwestern a road game? Is Ryan Field a, a road game these days? But I, I think it's the kind of road game I want to see us play. <laughs> yeah, right now, exactly. They'll they'll be wearing white at any rate. Yes, they'll be wearing uh, white, and it'll it'll feel maybe neutral sighty, perhaps. You know, is that a, is that a phrase? Oh, that's another topic. These these yeah. damn. Neutral I know TCU and no. Ohio State and yeah. Dallas, for heaven's sake. Um, yeah. but, but no, I, yeah. So okay, let's call it a road game. I mean, Pat Fitzgerald. Okay. We're gonna call you know a, we're gonna call it a road game. Sure. What uh uh you know I I I genuinely don't think Michigan loses this game. I I can't imagine that it is uh that 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 it's as easy as Nebraska was. But uh, by the same token, 
Um, I think Michigan's going to probably be able to out physical in a lot of ways. Um, Northwestern, I have a ton of respect uh, for Pat Fitzgerald and and what he does with that with that Nebraska pro or excuse me Northwestern program. So I think that they're going to be a little bit more feisty and probably a little bit better prepared and a little bit more motivated. But uh, this is one of those games, Scott. I I kind of think it's going to go. You know, it, it'll be like thirteen to ten at halftime. And you know, and, and and we'll all feel a little bit queasy, and then and then the the game's going to end, and it's going to be like thirty five to thirteen, um, I, you know, and, and, I, and we will be breathing a little bit easier. <laughs> I could I could see that. I, I I like the way the schedule is kind of stepping up in terms of. I think Nebraska, you know, from a, from a defensive standpoint, brings another challenge to to our offensive line and to our our tailbacks as far as um, pass blocking and, and taking care of their front seven. I. I haven't had a chance to look at kind of the advanced metrics and stats yet, but I, I think we'll find that their uh, defense actually grades out fairly well, especially from a, a, a front seven uh, perspective. Um, I guess what I'm hoping to see and what, what now, when I, you say advanced advanced metrics and stats, you're talking PFF grades and oh yeah, for, like, sorry yeah PFF grades uh, S and P plus you know yeah, yeah, sure, some sure. of that type of thing. I just wanted uh, to make sure. <laughs> People yes, I'm not firing up my not, own uh, TI-83. Uh-huh. Yeah, your own Al- <laughs> exactly. TI-83. Yeah. yeah, there you um, go. All right. But I but I, I think I think some of the things we'd like to see and just from a road performance standpoint is um I'd like to see a, a faster start. I, I I would really like to avoid the 13-10 halftime. Um I could certainly see it maybe being a sl- a slog through the first couple of possessions. Uh, just getting kind of our feet under us. I'll but, bet we do it though. I mean, Harvaz said he's going to do it. He's going to throw body punches. I'll yeah. bet we go three and out there or or six and out the the you know the first two drives. I we very well might. I would so hopefully if that is the case, hopefully we see the defense you know lock in and and force um, Fitzgerald for as much as I respect him is doing really weird stuff with his quarterbacks this year. They just lost their top running back and and that's right. I think he was their second highest in terms of receptions. Uh, for really unfortunate reasons. I mean, terrible for the kid, but um, a, a large... tired, yes. tired, right? I mean, basically. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, so a large chunk of their offense is no longer on the field. And so I, I, I think I would... My prediction is probably going to be something along the lines of I, I'd love to see like a 35-10. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, that might mean that it's, you know, 14-7 at half and we're all kind of grumbling and it, it's a matter of pulling away a little bit later. Uh, but I'd like to see us just look composed um and and not allow there to be huge swings in momentum so i mean taking care of the football and not allowing huge pressure uh on the offensive side so for the first uh for the first time uh doing this podcast here uh unsurprisingly we might be a little biased Uh, we both think it's going to be a 20 point plus win (laughs) this weekend um but that's what you get when you play when when you play northwestern um you know, I think that the days of of Brady Hoke, uh, you know, calling the the gamblers slide in to kick the field goal, or the Roy Roundtree catching the miracle pass downfield to to extend games in, against Northwestern, um, are are over. At least they're over for this season. Uh, you know, and I and I, I think that this team is going to um, be able to uh, exert their influence on the game against against a Northwestern and and really control what's happening on the field and when it's happening and how it's happening to the point where in the third or fourth quarter, I think you're going to see the floodgates start to open up a little bit. I can't say it any better than that. 
All right. So we wanted to keep this at, at about an hour. We are at the hour. So look at that. Yeah, get get excited, <laughs> get excited. All right. Uh, so so uh, great talking to you as always, and uh, ideally we get back here uh, next week and uh, and talk about this again. We'll try to sk- settle into something of a uh, of a normal uh, cadence with uh, with these things and uh, and see where it goes. So had a lot of fun here, Scott, and looking forward to doing it again soon. Same thing, and uh, go blue, go blue. <laughs>